On this episode of AV Week, Stampede gets bought by DCC, giving displays the option of sliding in a built-in PC and getting AV integrators educated on IT. All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 361, recorded Friday, July 27th, 2018. Training Wheels. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron Electronics and by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to talk about the news and information we have gathered this week, first and foremost, Mr. John Green from New Era Technology. Welcome, sir. Welcome. Glad to be here again. Nice right. to be back. All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, also with us is Billy Lally. Uh, Billy is from Mode Green. Welcome, sir. Thanks, Tim. How are you? I am well. And last but not least, and this is not the last time I will say this, uh, I swear to God, because he's, he's not leaving us for good. Uh, Mr. Josh Schrego, who currently technically as of uh, 1 o'clock Central on Friday, August or uh, July 27th, works for TCOM, but is uh, shortly heading off to law school. Welcome, sir. Oh, thank you for having me, Tim. It's good to be back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's, uh, let's kick this off here, guys. A couple uh, stories we've got this week. First and foremost, I, I want to kick off um, with the Stampede story coming out to us from AV Magazine. Stampede is gotten, getting purchased. The uh, AV distributor Stampede is actually being purchased by DCC Technology, uh, a division of the International Sales Marketing and Support Services Group, DCC. Uh, John, I'm going to start with you on this. Uh, when it comes to, to this, what is this going to do to the field of, AD, of AV distributors, not just in the U.S., but also globally? It was a very interesting purchase. Uh, in reading the article, and I guess knowing a little bit of behind the scenes, they match who we are. To. I mean, that's the most amazing thing is that, you know, every location that they have, either we have projects or we have offices ourselves, and we see an industry change. And, in, you know, again, we're, we're part of a merger and acquisition going on a regular basis. And we have locations we're picking up on a, on a, on a apparently almost on a monthly basis at this point. Um, but we also have the same difficulties because we're servicing a Europe community, an Asia community, South America, and we got to buy in-country. We've got to find sourcing in-country. We have to develop uh, relationships. And the relationships are changing uh, away from a direct business model from manufacturers to a stronger relationship with uh, distribution. Um, uh, the other companies that were, we combined with do a lot of IT work almost completely through distribution. We're still maintaining the balance of direct relationships with manufacturers, you know, working with the relationship on the distributors. So it was a very positive uh, thing for us and in, in, in our relationship to Stampede, I think. Well, what's interesting is, is we've had this conversation before with other integrators and actually with, with manufacturers about the decision-making processes to whether or not to go direct or whether to go through distribution. That's actually where I want to bring Billy in. Uh, when it comes to those decisions, how do you guys you know, come to that conclusion that, yes, I'm going to go down the distribution route, no, I'm going to go direct to, to my dealers or some hybrid of, of the two uh, business decisions? 
Yeah, well, we do both actually. We, I'm sorry, that was to me or to John? No, that was that was to you, Bill. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. I, I think that um, you know we look at it both ways, and a lot of instances we do have direct relationships with with dealers and manufacturers that we're buying uh, obviously direct with in the distribution models. There's a lot of value add that comes along with that. And that's where if we can leverage the value adds or if they're carrying multiple brands and things that we don't necessarily have direct relationships with, a lot of times the distribution model works for us because we can leverage the on larger projects, the multiple brands they may carry into a single source. Um, they also, in some cases, have advanced design services and some other things that we can rely on. So as these groups get bigger, it seems that their resources get better uh, and they become more valuable from a distribution model than, than going direct and us having to sort of deal with all those bits and pieces uh, on our own. Well, I would agree. I mean, so the other thing that happens with that as well is um, some manufacturers are forcing it strictly through distribution. I mean, you could do three quarters of a million dollars and you would think that the direct relationship is an easy thing to have. And their answer is, well, when you get three million, you can have a relationship with us. So, you know, as long as you identify what the strengths are of the distributor and some of them are just, you know, a source for supply and others are value added engineers, as long as you understand that relationship and what they're able to provide, it's a good thing, in my opinion. Agreed, yeah. All right, Shrego. Uh, Shrego used to work for a manufacturer, uh, integrator, and now he's a consultant. So take a swing at any of the, from any of those. Uh, All right. Well, let's take a look at it from the swinging of the manufacturer. Uh, it's more costly to constantly have bodies on the street than to work with a distribution arm that's going to go and advocate your, for your product or make sure that your products are out there. Uh, the way that they incentivize distribution is very different than the way that they incentivize reps. It's very different from the way that they incentivize uh, hired employees. So there is a cost savings effect uh, through distribution because you're able to reach a lot of people uh, that you may not have been able to reach previously because when somebody calls a distributor, they're often looking for full product system solutions. Uh, I remember being an end user calling Full Compass and asking questions and like oh yeah we have that we have that but we don't have this thing that you want but we have this other alternative and you can go with that and that'll flip that around for people so that creates an advantage from uh, the manufacturing standpoint from the integrator standpoint let's look at the consolidation of the industry how many people have bought international organizations in the last year or expanded their international efforts uh, you need to have centralized buying capabilities. You need to be able to have the partners that you can trust to get you the products that you need, not just in one region anymore, but globally. So having international distribution of a single product line or a manufacturer's line uh, is going to give you the capability to do that. So that's going to allow you to grow and have those resources. And the same would be true for the consultants is that when we're looking to spec a product in, let's say, I don't know, um, Dubai, where there seems to be a lot of construction these days, uh, then we need to make sure that they can, are going to have access to that. And if I called up my, and actually a perfect example from the real world is I called up my QSC guy and said, I need to know how I'm going to get this product. And he's like, well, we're just going to have to get it to you through distribution. Well, if I already know that I have to get it through distribution when I'm going to certain regions because manufacturers don't have direct support there anymore, now we're back to the manufacturer argument that I can now support regions that I don't necessarily have bodies in, uh, which creates the relationship with the consultant, which gets it specified. And then I know that I can supply it through a specific distribution channel, which the integrator, whoever will be serving, servicing that region, will have support for both locally and globally. So it creates this lovely supply chain and is the next evolution for a lot of the things that we're doing. There are going to be people that don't want to move there, but we keep moving ourselves closer and closer to the IT distribution methodology. And this is just the next step in that. So let me ask a dangerous question. Does that mean that eventually there will be no direct, um, direct sales to, to integrators where we will completely move to the distribution model, i.e. IT? 
I don't think that's actually feasible in our realm due to the fact that we have a lot of custom programming and there are tra there's training that's required and training that's involved to understand complex DSB distribution, complex uh, control platforms, things that, that go in with that. So there's a certain amount that will still have to remain direct. Uh, but at the same time, having the lower end product be available for distribution and, and working in partnership in conjunction with proper system designers like consultants or uh, high-end design build places, that's going to lead to that. It's just making that product available through distribution in regions that can't be supported is going to need to be there, but there's still going to be a certain amount of qualifications and authorization that will be required. So there'll be a sort of an intermediary layer for certain aspects of the industry. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to tag on to that, and it's, it's two-sided. Uh, the relationship that the manufacturers are having with systems integration is changing. You know, years ago, there was probably not a Thursday or a Friday that I didn't have somebody visiting, and that's, that's dropped off immensely. And I think that a lot of the manufacturers are beefing up their support of the distributors and the technical knowledge. And I think the reason for that is obviously – and our industry is growing at a, at a feverish pace. I mean, the need for technology and who's using it and how many people are using it, there's going to be a rote response to that, and distributors can handle it. I think a year from now you're going to say, you should buy our product because we have this boutique thing called direct relationship. And you're going to see certain manufacturers creep in and literally go, you know, you want to have a, an intimate relationship. That's where it's really going to be successful. And I think that they're going to probably gain some business where – you know, it's just like us. You want to work with us because we're small and we're boutique and we have a direct relationship. You don't want to go to the distributor route. And, and, and I think that people will buy into that. No, I agree with that, especially when it comes to tech support after the fact as well, where you're not having to route through and, and have, you know, some distributor login and then 15 passwords to get back to the right manufacturer or deal with a rep to go and get that relationship direct for tech support. So I, that may shift or may not shift, but I know that we certainly have better luck on the direct dealership side on dealing with the tech support pieces. Yeah, um, we, also, we, we maintain that same relationship. There's no other way we're going to go about it, no matter what. Yeah. Right. And it also, I think, levels the playing field from us as an integrator, especially in a bidding bid situation where we're not necessarily dealers for everything that gets bid by a, a certain consultant or everything that's spec by a consultant. It opens up the playing field a little bit as opposed to only the integrators that have those direct relationships being competitive in those bids. Absolutely. I'm going to throw the big, a big, you know, wild, hairy, outrageous idea. As a service, why I, I don't doubt that the relationship from, let's say, a, manufacturer, a company like, let's say, Coke says, oh, yeah, these are our standard rooms, and they cut a relationship with a distributor, and the distributor packages it all on pallets and then says, okay, just get all this stuff and install it at Coke at these locations at this time, and that's what our role is. And we don't even buy from the distributor. It's already been purchased. It's already been racked and stacked and or, you know, put on a pallet. And all we have to do is get in there and do the work. We get paid for doing it as a service. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, next story comes to us from our friends over at uh, Daily Do, uh, DailyDo.com, D-O-O-H. Uh, NEC over in the Europe is, is unveiling their new slot-in PC displays. Uh, what this is, it's a, it's a new slot-in device uh, based on the seventh and most recent generation of the Intel Core TM processor technology, including a, a Core TM i3. Uh, what this allows you to do is you take an NEC display and you can slip in a, a, basically a computer. Billy, I want to start with you on this, actually. Um, for what applications are modular displays and slash PC combinations like this ideal? 
we're seeing a little bit on like the quote unquote smart board category, the, uh, the touch overlays and things like that. If we're putting them in dedicated conference rooms that people don't want to be bringing laptops into uh, more enterprise accounts where they can log in with like office 360 or something like that and just get into their account. Uh, I know Panasonic's been doing this forever with their different modular pieces and it with some success, some not a lot of times the, the screen technology is being outdated so quickly that you can't keep up with the PC inside anyway. So I, for me, it's, it's good and bad, right? Um, so I think natively everything's going IP naturally, uh, certainly in our world, IPTV and so forth. Uh, but as far as the, the, the PC, it would be an interesting thing to see how well the, the computer technology keeps up with the glass technology. That's actually a really good point is, is what, you know, how often do you refresh the PC slash the, slash the display? Uh, Shrego, from, I guess, a security standpoint, as well as, as a uh, integration standpoint, what are some of the drawbacks of having this modularness versus having a built-in you know, computer? Well, first and foremost, by putting out a Windows appliance and you're asking, and if you're selling this through the AV channel, you are just opening yourself up to security problems of innumerable counting. Um, the fact that we still have to bug AV manufacturers, the, what the ad, what the what the baseline what the uh, default password and and login are, and so many of them still come back with admin and password, just makes me sad. Every day, it makes me very very sad. Um, and now you're going to hand them a Windows appliance and tell them to install it. And it's like, yeah, that's not necessary. I mean, before at least we have the idea of, well, we live on a separate network. It's a different thing. And now we're literally handing them a Windows appliance and telling them to install it. This just screams security issues. At the same time, though, there is a certain amount of brilliance in this uh, in terms of its ability to distribute content for uh, it's ability to just generally distribute content for digital signage. Think about it in terms of loading Zoom on these PCs. Now you have a built-in PC, you provide a wireless, you provide a USB microphone uh, or just a, a Logitech C930 or C920 in a room and you have your huddle room. You, you don't necessarily need to plug in an HDMI cable anymore because the platforms are getting sta more stable. You can add an HDMI input uh, if this PC is capable of it, have an external input. And now add on to that fact that if you start incorporating IEEE standards, the PC gets one network connection, which could bring power to it directly and network connection to it directly. The display gets another one. Now you know when the PC's up and the display's down, both of them are powered over the network with these IEEE standards, assuming the display is small enough because we're still only talking 90 watts of power. But you're really getting into a point when you can literally just drop network connections and suddenly have a huddle room. That's pretty damned impressive with what you're going to be capable of in the long run. Do I trust that to AV installers? Good Lord, no. But I would trust that to an IT department to be able to, display, to deploy these. And at which point, do they really need an AV guy to hang a TV in a wall? Uh, really. Josh, Josh, I'm sitting right in the room here, man. Yeah, but you'll be retired by the time this thing <laughs> I'm an AV installer. Come on, brother. <laughs> I hear there's great jobs in-house these days. <laughs> Plastics, John. Plastics. Um, real quickly on, on that, though, it, Josh, you you brought up you know putting Zoom on there. What about some sort of wireless um, display technology as well? Whether uh, that uh, yeah, it's click share yeah. software. Yeah. Now it's software. It's not the box. Now it's Zoom. It's so, it's a software solution that you're going to preload and or they have arrangements with to make the room complete for the functionality that they need. It's it's a natural progression. I mean, you're, getting, you're embedding everything in the display at this point because all what we keep providing is an endpoint to plug into a display. And what HD HDBASD's promise was, was the idea that everything was going to go direct to the display. It's never been realized. It's because 
the display manufacturers just haven't, for whatever reason, put a lot of HD base T uh, connections in the displays. Projectors, a few of them did, but the displays themselves, there were very few that took advantage of that. Now, I mean, if you're going to start just embedding the actual content generator in the display, which we've already had for a while in terms of digital signage, Samsung uh, has done this for digital signage capabilities, but if you're going to embed a PC in it, start treating it like an actual PC device. And it's basically just an all-in-one monitor. Imagine putting these things as desktop devices for all of your clients. This is what they have at their desktop. They walk into a meeting room, they just have a bigger version of it. That's, it's a continuous user experience across an entire platform from the desk to the meeting room to everywhere beyond. Yeah, and I, and I think we're already seeing that again. It's the sparkification of the room. It's the, it's the hub style of the room. I think that there's a lot of uh, good attempts at it. And I think that it's the direction that uh, at least our end user are asking for as well. So, you know, it's, it, I agree that there's problems associated with it as far as security and things of that nature. But I think that the industry is growing up to be aware of those to try to address it. I'm not saying it's, it's perfected, but yeah, security is going to be an issue. Well, John, let me, let me drill down a little bit more and take the last story that we did as well as this one. Sure. At, at what point do, do integrators start seeing themselves as more of the as a service? Because you mentioned that as a service. Yeah. Yeah. is right. You know, you, you, and I would argue a little bit, Josh, where the IT department doesn't necessarily either one doesn't want to, to mess with hanging the, the display. And number two, doesn't want to take the liability of it. So you hire an AV company to come in and configure and, and load it up and make sure everything is running right. And, you know, if they need some sort of uh, secondary or, or you know, a microphone or a, a third-party microphone, the, that's where the, the AV folks come in. But is this where, where we might be headed, where we're, we're simply, we're, we're labor, right? We're, we're the service that makes sure that everything they get from CDW or wherever else just kind of well, works. Josh, Josh had mentioned, I'm going to retire soon, so I, I, I may not have a problem here. But the, the, it's, it's true in that that's going to be a portion of the business. And if you decide to roll that up as a portion of your business, then okay. But, you know, we're still lucky we have some physics. I mean, we have audio issues. I mean, it's thank God that microphones don't solve all the problems and rooms are different shapes and sizes. There's other things. It may be simple as, okay, sure, hang it. Well, who gave you the infrastructure drawings? And you know that the ADA height is this, and you know there should have been an outlet here. So there's still a lot of things that we provide to the industry that is going to be required. You know, so I, I don't mind. You know, I, I think it's going to see, my fear is not that we're going to uh, lose business. It's just going to be different services to the client. And one of them is we may not be supplying product because, again, the other thing that we're seeing in the industry is products that have 10, 15, 20% of OFE because of their mergers and acquisitions, because of their relocation. So there's a lot for us still to do. <laughs> I don't know that the IT guys ever want to be the AV guys. I mean, everybody that right. we run wants nothing to do with it. It becomes their problem because it plugs into a wall. But the reality is that they don't want to. They have enough to deal, to deal with, with net yep. networks and switches and everything else they have to sort out. They don't want to be the AV guys too. As much as they get lumped into that category, uh, we find great success in befriending those people to to help them as opposed to you know trying to be replaced or replace them. So I think it's a, still a very symbiotic relationship and there'll be two definitive categories within our circles, even though anybody from the outside looking in seems to lump everything into one major category. No, but there's a difference here. There's a, there's, there's a big difference here. There's, yes, we are an outside category, but at the, the, when the minute we start selling a Windows appliance, 
that is their domain. Oh yeah, so, yeah, totally. So as soon as it becomes a Windows appliance, they they are going to have to get their desktop support people involved to make sure it's secure, yep. uh, make sure it's configured with their devices, uh, and make sure that it's configured configured with their network settings and their standards. And what does it have access to? Uh, I, you run into the same problem with the the yes. AMX Ascendo Core, which is a Windows appliance, well put together. I like a lot of things about it. There's, I would love the opportunity to put it into a project, but at the same time is uh, how do they feel that I am now telling them you're going to put this Windows appliance on your network? How, how does their IT department feel about that? And they may be gun shy or they may say as long as that I can, as long as I can do these things, but it, it raises a different level of partnership that we now have to have with those IT departments. The minute we start putting systems with common OSs on them. Well, and not just partnerships with the IT departments, but also with the manufacturers. Because then you have to go back to, you use the Ascendo Core example, I'll use that. You have to go back to AMX and make certain that the things that this one IT department wants to do is doable on their device, right? Exactly. We have to make sure that it's capable of it. Uh, so one of the things that, of course, I would instantly ask if NEC showed up and said, hey, look at our new bright and shiny thing that has Windows on it. Okay, great. Am I dual NIC to be behind a display and be on a secured network as well as a guest network? Or are you just going to force me to put you on a guest network or do I have to isolate you to a separate network completely? So what are you forcing me to do because you aren't considering the limitations of security of putting out a Windows appliance? If, if Shrego's career thus far in the AV industry can be boiled down to one word, it would be security. <laughs> so, and that's not a knock. That is totally not a knock. It, it, 100%. Um, all right, moving on to our last story here from uh, AV Network. Access Networks is releasing a pre-configured solution for Crestron NVX. Uh, if you're not familiar with Access Networks, Access Networks uh, is, is a is switch company. They, they take Cisco switches and, and Ruckus switches and they, they put their, their own special sauce in them. Uh, primarily up until this point has been a residential um, manufacturing, residential um, company. They're big in, in the CDA channel, Haggai Feiner, uh, the, the founder and the CEO of, of Access, it was on the CDA board for a number of years. Um, one thing here, and, and, and Billy, I want to start with you on this. Uh, one thing, that, according to the, the article here, um, this is a, a custom program networking solution uh, that are quote unquote certified to work with Crestron's uh, NDM NVX series uh, of encoders and decoders. The standardized configurations ensure deployments are seamless and efficient for dealers integrating access networks core systems with NVX products. First question though, uh, Billy, is when you show up to a client site and you go, okay, we're, we're doing DM, I have these great, these great switches, I'm going to put exactly. these in your, in your network closet. How is that going to go? Not so well. Uh, it depends. I mean, it depends really on, no, I know, uh, the initial planning. I, hopefully there's meetings and design and everything else takes place before we just show up with the switches. So that if those conversations have taken place appropriately, uh, and to Josh's point, all the security has been cleared and everything else, then, uh, yeah, that's much less of a conversation than just walking on the job site and saying, Hey, go plug these in for us. But, um, to me, anything that is being advertised is quick, easy, and seamless in our world is not so true usually. Um, and so, you know, for I think this dovetails nicely from our previous two conversations as well, is, is all of these con technologies converging together. Somebody's trying to build a, a cookie-cutter solution for some of this, which is nice, but the collaboration of the AV and IT sides of this and the network security requirements and the level of expertise to configure these networks together 
uh, is far beyond most of the AV world in a lot of cases. And so, you know, for me, there's, I always describe it as there's very little middle class left in our world. You've got guys that are pulling wires, you've got guys that are, that are programming and configuring very, very complex networks and systems. Uh, and so there's a huge void in the middle as to what that middle ground is in a knowledge from a knowledge standpoint. So to walk in with a solution, sure, if, if, it's, if it's truly configured for that and it's designed appropriately ahead of time, so much of this comes down to those meetings and designs and everything else that take place ahead of time to make sure that that is seamless and that we're not running into those roadblocks of, of just surprising the IT crew with a whole group of switches that may not fit their, their standards. Um, at this point, they, they typically want to manage all those after the fact. They, they don't want to you know, veer off of whatever their existing switching infrastructure is with all this stuff just for AB. So if they want to manage that as part of their overall managed network, that might be a challenge. Uh, if they really want it separated and it's the EV guy's problem, maybe not so much. All right, Josh, uh, what it, NVX is, is relatively new here. Um, but the fact that, 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 net, that, that access networks has come along and already, you know, has, has a switch that helps integrators along, is this something that you guys can design with, or is this something to, to Billy's point where you have, a, have to have a longer conversation with your clients as you're assessing that out their needs and going, you know, what, you know, separating it between the, what we've, you know, commonly called, you know, the, the separate AV network and the separate IT network, or if, if it's going on, on one, one uh, combined network, then there's a different conversation. So here's one of the things that comes up with that is uh, our 1G solutions at this point in time are still unreliable on a corporate network. So they're going to live on their own isolated network most most times, specifically for reliability, especially as a global firm, because you don't control when they do switch management or where they do switch management, which means that they could end up updating a switch in the middle of a meeting and shut down your entire meeting, which is always fun and no one gets upset about that ever. Um, so one of the things that happens with that is, is because we're living on our own isolated network, this is an advantage for that. Let, let's recognize that. This is also an advantage for people that want to make this jump from uh, just straight DM transmitters and receivers to DM NVX. So this is a partnership that allows uh, education and it allows, it's a stepping stone to get people that aren't necessarily ready to take on network configurations and help them get there. They can reverse engineer it and say, well, how did they do that? If they're then taking the best steps, they then say, why did they do that? Uh, but we can't guarantee that that's actually going to happen because a lot of people just want to get the job done. They're there to deploy a system and be done. Uh, they don't necessarily want to take all that extra effort because there is extra effort involved with that. It's just how it is. Uh, so there are a lot of positives that come out of this. At the same time, you're also then handing a pre-configured network switch to somebody who may not have any idea what they're doing with it other than plugging boxes in. Uh, this is this is a great partnership for Crestron. It's a great partnership for the network switch manufacturer. It's just not necessarily the right thing for those large-scale deployments. Uh, it's not necessarily the right thing for a high-tech firm where you where they possibly manufacture network switches uh, because we're not going to be able to tell them, oh, hey, yeah, I know you're this company, but we're going to put this company's switches in. You, no, not going to happen. Um, came up in a meeting recently where that happened, and somebody said, yeah, we're just going to put a Cisco switch in, and the switch manufacturer went, you're going to put a what in? Um, which was also my favorite moment in almost any meeting I've had this year. Uh, 
and we get into those circumstances where we have to take that into account. There's dangers and there's risk by deploying IP devices. It needs to be made easier to get greater adoption because we're still seeing people that are afraid to take on that IP interval. They're, they're afraid of what the, what the responsibility is that comes with that. They don't know how to do it necessarily. This helps bridge that gap a little bit and is a great training wheel. But if they don't take the further steps to make sure that they understand what they're fully doing, then this could end up being more dangerous than helpful. All right, Mr. Green, uh, question for you then. Is, is this something where, to use Josh's terminology, is this a good training wheel for your techs and, and, and for integrators to get familiar with configuring systems and, and deploying these AV networks? Because let's be, let's be honest, this is kind of where at least distributed audio and video, maybe not single room, you know, my old days as a tech manager, a single classroom with a computer and a, and a possible DVD player going up to projector, probably not those. But distributed video is, is primarily going down the, the road of the network. If an, um, an integrator is not there yet, if their techs aren't there yet when it comes to understanding the network, is this a good training wheel? Yes. <clears throat> I, I, I can expand on it, but I, I tend to agree. I, a couple of things that we experience is um, our approach as a company was to go get IT network engineers. I mean, that's that's the bottom line is that if you're not, if you don't have the talent set to really understand network, you're pretty much in trouble. Uh, and I agree wholeheartedly with what Billy said. The word surprise to an IT guy is just a disaster. Anytime that you're going to walk in without planning, they'll just shut the whole entire project down. And that, and that causes disruptions that in some cases aren't recoverable. But you know, one of the other things I, you know, I, I think I'm beginning to discover is everybody still blames the AV guy. These networks, even at large corporations, are unstable. You know, there, there's the debates about between, like, we're working with, a, with an enterprise that has, let's say, a consumer division, and then they have a professional division, and neither of the networks have standards. They all have different approaches. And we're trying to bridge both of those because we're just trying to put a, a digital signage across all of them. And like, well, it's okay for this guy, but it's not okay for this person, and their network is good for it, but this one isn't. So these type of devices that we see here, like the Access, or any of it, any AV over IP is helpful, it makes it a little bit easier, but it's not the ultimate solution. There are definitely bridges. This isn't, I hate to use the term, these aren't the game changers, but these are definitely headed in the right direction. And it'll support our needs as we go forward, for sure. All right, guys. Uh, as, as we wrap up here, I want to say thank you uh, to Mr. Schrago. Uh, I'll put a link on Josh's article that he, a very well-written piece in Commercial Integrator, explaining what he's doing. Um, I'm not going to ask him to go over it now, but... Uh, he is headed to law school, um, and he's, he's going to come back. So uh, thank you guys uh, so much. Uh, Mr. Billy Lally, um, thank you, sir. How do people get a hold of you and or Mode Green? Uh, I'm bill at modegreen.com, or the website is modegreen.com as well. That's the two best ways to get us. All right, very good. Mr. Green, thank you, sir. Thank you. Always still a Jay Green 6, and now no era technology. And new era technology, yeah. Uh, and Mr. Strago, thank you as always, sir. Happy to be here. Happy to lend a hand. Still can find me on Twitter at Jay Uh LinkedIn, and 
well, I'm not quite sure where else you're going to find me other than the Santa Clara University campus for a little while. <laughs> <That's exactly right. laughs> he'll, he'll, be, he'll be among the, the, the inaugural class uh, in about, what, two or three weeks? Yeah. Orientation starts uh, 10 days. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, classes start August 13th. So I, I don't even have my class schedule yet. Um, Give your books. I can't buy books if I don't have a class schedule. Uh, I'm sure so, the law books though. So just go pick out some law books. I, you know, it's, 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 you know, yeah, I, I have no, I, it, there's, there's, there is so much excitement, so many nerves, so much trepidation and so much potential uh, for what all of this could bring. And, and, the big thing is, is again, going back to, uh, I felt that this was the best way that I could help, um, help the industry in, in general. Uh, there's just, there's too many questions about precedent. There's too many questions about security and there's too many questions about liability that we can't answer. And we don't seem to have the resource available to us to help us with that. And, uh, I got tired of asking the questions. So I finally figured I'd just go ask the people that actually knew things, uh, and then maybe try and disseminate that information for a fee, um, when I'm done with it. Cause God knows I got to pay for this thing somehow. <laughs> well, as one of the people who were, were honored enough to, to write your, one of your recommendations letter, I will agree with you. Uh, <laughs> it's your assessment. So, uh, all right. Yeah. Follow along with Josh as he uh, heads back to law school, for, honestly, for the, for the, for the AV industry. So, uh, my name is Tim Albright. Don't follow me on the Twitters. Uh, go by the website, though, if you would, please. Avianation.tv. Avianation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others while you're there. Check out our underwriter section. These are the folks who help us financially, help us bring you AV Week every single week, uh, as well as our coverage of Infocom in June and CDA coming up in just over um, about a month. Uh, also, while you're there, uh, Wallace Johnson, uh, the host of our live live show, and a fantastic live staging and events uh, producer in his own right, is doing a webinar towards the end of August about um, media servers and, and, and live events. So check that out uh, if that's, if that's kind of your, your avenue. So all that and more at avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for, for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Thank you.